reading from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel reading today is from John. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I've said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends because I've made known to you everything that I've heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I'm giving you these commands so that you may love one another. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's uh, pray together. Father in heaven, we ask that as we think on these uh, words of scripture that you would help us to know how we might inhabit them and apply them to our hearts and our life among one another and in your world. Would you be with us, we ask in these words in Jesus' name, uh, amen. So uh, since the pandemic, I have been sitting with the words of Psalm 90 verse 12, which read, Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. And that may sound a little morbid that I would sit with those words in this time when sickness is ramped up and when death is ramped up for so many in our country and in our world. But I don't think I was being overly morbid uh, or even just trying to put my mind around the, the, the simple reality that we all die. I was rather curious about the psalmist's view that somehow this awareness of numbering our days is critical to living wisely in the number of our days. It's more about understanding our limits of realizing that we don't have infinite days or time to realize our aims and our objectives in this life. No one has endless time before them at their disposal. Numbering our days helps us live in wisdom during the days of our lives. So for the last year, I have been numbering the days that Bethany and Jonathan and Mary would have among us. 
I've been very mindful that their choices within the days of their lives have included us as a church, as friends, and have included City Church as a context in which they work out their vocation. Bethany, 10 years, Jonathan and Mary in our community, eight, and working among us, seven. It's a gift to us um, that we would spend such time with one another. Today, I'm profoundly grateful that they've included us in this long stretch of their living. They joined us when our church was in its infancy. We were new, we were young, we didn't even know really what we were doing, and they threw their lot in with us and helped us grow up and helped us mature and stretched us in so many profound ways. They helped us, as Paul says in this Ephesians text, to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Salvation isn't something that can be reduced to a simple confession that Jesus is Lord, or we affirm that we know something about Jesus that's correct. And it's certainly not about, in the pages of the New Testament at least, uh, it's not about uh, securing some afterlife position, that post-death we know where we end up. It's not about that at all. It's rather about the beauty of living a human life now and later differently, changed, transformed because of the presence of God in our lives and the presence of God's people in our lives. Notice in this text from Ephesians, Paul's vision for ordinary Christian life, this walking in a manner worthy of the calling of Jesus on our lives. In verses two and three, Paul situates before the church at Ephesus and all of the churches that have since read this letter, visible and real experiences in human life together. Experiences of humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, maintaining the unity of the spirit. The Christian church has seen these virtues since we've been reading about them in the pages of the New Testament in a desirable way. We've affirmed that they're agreeable to life. But Paul's point really isn't our agreement with him. It's rather that we would be a community that actually lives these words and embodies them in our life together before a watching world, that we would demonstrate the reality of who Jesus Christ is through our life with one another and with the world itself. In Paul's cultural context, humility was not a widely accepted virtue. It wasn't conceptualized that way at all, in fact. It was a concept that would be commonly used to describe the poor and the powerless of society. And when people would think about this word, nobody would want to be that, poor and powerless. And yet Paul chooses it to be a marker of Christian community and Christian life, a demonstration of who Jesus was. Gentleness similarly holds the well-being and the rights of others in our every interaction with one another. Patient, forbearing love prioritizes the life of others similarly. And importantly, this language or this urging that we would maintain the unity of the spirit. In other words, that we would work at unity as part of our Christian vocation. It always included doing that in hard and adverse circumstances and hard and adverse relationships, many of which were profoundly diverse and profoundly different, not only ethnically, but religiously as these communities were coming together in the person of Jesus and trying to figure out what does unity look like here? And it suddenly became something that was more about our common and shared look toward Jesus, our turning of our life toward Christ than anything else. 
The early church father, John Chrysostom, said that the Christian community and we Christians, the church itself, must have a wide and a big soul. But being a Christian in this way almost always feels impossible whenever you're brought into relationship with real living Christians, with real living people, with real neighbors. In our world, we've had recent occasion to look out on the broader culture and find profound discouragement, really the absence of these words and these practices. Systemic and personal racism, white supremacy is abounding. All the inequalities that exist in our culture are profoundly disappointing to so many of us. The political divisive speech that sort of marks the current regime the ridiculous arguments about wearing a mask or not wearing a mask that tear apart even communities inside of the body of Christ. But Paul urged and he pleaded for the church of his day to be different, to enact and perform a very different way of being human. Paul longed that we would express the life of Christ in our life with one another that we would be a community that is constantly drawn in to the drama of the story of Jesus himself, that we would maybe think of Christianity, if you would like, as performance art. It's something we all have a part and a role in, and it changes all the time. But humility and gentleness and patient forbearance, pursuit of unity, all of these are markers of our life together across every changing circumstance. The reason Paul could be so definitive and so urging to plead and beg, as it were, is simply that he had come to understand that in Jesus, God had enacted a very new reality. The resurrection had come into the middle of all the world of chaos, the chaos of hate and selfishness, through Jesus' own act of forbearing love and humility and gentleness. And by the Spirit of Christ, he believed that the church could participate in that same reality. Verse 4 describes the outcome of Jesus' story and the gift of Jesus' story where Paul writes, there is one body, one spirit, for you were called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. It's a sad and troubling thing that Christian history is populated with the opposite experiences, even inside the church. But getting it wrong doesn't take away the deeper truth of what Jesus has done or the deeper truth of where God is moving all of history toward the fullness of God's kingdom come in Jesus. Or the reality that God every single day invites us to participate in the drama of the story of Christ ourselves in some fresh moment. We remember this each week when we take just a moment to repent of our sins and hear the word of God's forgiveness and pardon over our lives. And as we leave our gathering together in benediction, hoping and praying that this time we will live into the humility and live into the gentleness just a little bit more. God has done something with out our agreement and that's such a gift it's something so profoundly beautiful he's gifted us with something that we couldn't even imagine for ourselves and one day later in another epistle the apostle will say that every knee will bend toward that reality of all that's done 
But here, Paul, in this fragment of his letter to the Ephesian church, he just imagines the possibility of a community of people that begin to let go of their ego, their narcissistic obsessions, their selfishness, their scarcity mentality, and that they would begin to experience the Savior whose soul is big and wide, and they would similarly begin to offer the same to one another. Just before this particular text, Paul pleads for his hearers to walk in this manner worthy. Just before this particular text, he prayed that the church would be a community that would continually grasp the wide and long and high and deep love of Christ. And as those words are on the tip of the scribe's pen, as this letter is being written, Paul erupts in one of his more famous doxologies. You're familiar with it, no doubt, where he says simply this, Now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul's hope for the church then, and I believe his hope for the church now, for the Ephesians, was not himself as an apostle. It was not the Ephesian individual believers there in that particular moment, but it was the simple truth that God is a God who had reached out and found him in the person of Jesus. And God had found the Christian community at Ephesus, and God has found us So that wherever we go, into whatever relationships we step, we're invited to perform our human life differently because we're found and we're loved by our Savior, Jesus Christ. So one of the beautiful things about goodbyes, and I know it feels weird to say there's something beautiful about a goodbye, but it is just this. It is the gift of hindsight. That in this moment of looking back on Bethany's ministry among us and Jonathan and Mary's ministry among us, we are able to look back and say, yes, Lord, you you surprised us. Because in those first moments, saying, hey, would you throw your lot in with us or working in this particular space of worship music and crafting liturgy for us, or in the space of coming alongside the youth group of our church initially, as Jonathan and Mary did so faithfully and beautifully, or continuing and leading small groups and leading the staff and preaching and administering the sacraments and just being a faithful part of this community, none of us imagined the beauty of those 10 or 8 or 7 years None of us. And yet today we're able to look back and say, you did, Lord, surprise us. We experienced the gift of being humble together, of pursuing God's kingdom together, of talking about forgiveness of sins together, of celebrating the reality of our love together. And so this day is a profoundly joyful day of remembering the great surprises of God that we could never imagine for ourselves on the front end of any relationship that we've ever entered. So may God give us grace to continually walk in a manner worthy of the calling that he has set before us wherever we go into whatever part of the world we go or part of the country. And the gift of surprise 
across all of our numbered days. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, it is indeed a happy, sad day for all of us, for we can look back on these surprises of human relationships and be so grateful for these moments, and yet so sad that we are in a moment of goodbye, and yet so expectant as we hear stories of Jonathan Mary's continued life in Atlanta, or Bethany and David's continued life in Prague. Would you be so faithful to surprise all of us with rich stories of your love given to us in Jesus. Amen.